Thank you for joining us at Key Life Fellowship for our pulpit ministry podcast. Each sermon on this podcast is from our 11 a.m. Sunday service. We are glad that you have joined us digitally, but would love to see you in person on Sunday mornings at either 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. Now, let's open God's Word and ask Him to reveal His truths for our lives. Well, amen. If you have your Bibles, turn to the First Corinthian letter in chapter 11. As we will be looking at a message this morning, a call to remember. A call to remember. And I want us to look at that because it's a very serious call. In fact, it is a call that the Lord gave in Matthew's Gospel. And Paul is going to reiterate to the church here in his First Corinthian letter here in chapter 11, verses 23 all the way to 32. But this is a call to remember, and a call to remember the specifics of what the Lord Jesus did for us. Uh, as Paul uses the term in quoting the Lord, do this in remembrance of me. That, that word remembrance is a very important word that I want us to focus on a lot this morning. Do this in remembrance of me. What exactly does remembrance mean it's it's more than just remembering where you parked your car where you left your keys we're going to see that that word remembrance in the greek is a very powerful word anamnesis and anamnesis means this it means an affectionate call to remembrance it's to remember something in an affectionate manner something that you are attached to something that is etched into the fiber of your being. And, and we know how this works. We know the power of a memory. And those lasting memories that we have in life, and those memories we know can both be positive as well as negative. And we know that. We know that trauma or abuse or traumatic events can cause us to have lasting negative emotions. We know people who, who were in combat and suffer from PTSD We've been through traumatic times who suffer with the same because those memories are etched in the depths of their being. Those memories are not only negative as we look at those affectionate memories, those, those memories can also be positive. Or I hope that they're positive, such as the first time you kissed your spouse. I hope that's a positive memory that is etched into your mind. I know mine is. But that first dance that you had with them, or that wedding day or that wedding night, those things that have been engrafted into the depth of your soul, the birth of a child. I can go back and remember exactly what was going on the day my children were born. I can close my eyes and I can vividly see that memory. As well as those memorable vacations and trips, those times where you were able to get away and God showed you something that you had never seen during that time of relaxation, recreation. Those special times, again, carved into your mind. This is what the Apostle is talking about in referencing Jesus. Actually, this is what Jesus was talking about when He and Matthew said, do this in remembrance of Me. He's saying, go back and grab that affectionate memory that you know to be true. And he instructs his disciples to do this, and through the course of time, here Paul is in the First Corinthian letter, 
addressing the Corinthian church because they have gotten some things out of order. They had forgotten what the Lord's Supper is truly all about. And as we prepare our hearts to observe the Lord's Supper this morning in a call to remember Christ and what all He's done, I pray that we would not fall into the error of the Corinthians who make this into something that it's not, but that we would concentrate on what the Lord says that it is. And the Lord says that this is a time of remembrance and a time of affectionate remembrance of Him. Of who He is, what He has done, what He accomplished through His death, His burial, His resurrection, His ascension, and what He will accomplish when He returns. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 11, let's read it together. We'll start at verse 23, and as I said, we'll read all the way to 32, and then we'll discuss this text in detail. Verse 23 says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. This is the Apostle Paul writing the Corinthian church, saying this is instruction straight from the Lord. The Lord Jesus, on the night He was betrayed, took bread. And when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is My body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. In the same way, after supper, He took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in My blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of Me. For whenever you drink, or excuse me, you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Verse 28, he says, A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. He's talking about death to the believer. They have fallen asleep. In fact, God has executed His discipline on their life in the form of removing them from the world. But if we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. When we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. For all of you who say that's pretty harsh, that the Lord would discipline them through sickness and illness and even death, it beats eternal judgment. He's reminding them of that. Uh, we, we know that the writer of Hebrews tells us this, that whom the Lord loves, He chastens. He chastens with a rod. In fact, he goes on to say this, that if you were without chastening, you're illegitimate. And so what the Apostle Paul is reminding the church of are, are the instructions that he received concerning the Lord's Supper and how this ought to be observed and what the purpose of it is. And as we look at this, as I've already said, that word remembrance ought to jump out at us. That word remembrance, that affectionate recollection of the truths that we know surrounding Jesus Christ. And that's what I want to look at today as Paul breaks this down for us. In verse 24, he speaks of the first point that we are going to look at. That we should, in this time of remembrance, remember first the advent of Christ. The advent of Christ. So we see the advent of Christ remembered. Verse 24, he tells us, he said, And when he had given thanks, he broke it, speaking of the bread, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. It's very important that we understand what he was saying when he was referencing the body of Christ. He is referencing the actual, literal advent of the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ, who was fully God and fully man. And we must remember the body of Jesus Christ because it is the body of Jesus Christ that was broken 
and that was crushed in our stead, in our place, as a substitute for us. And we remember in observing the Lord's Supper, this body to its full degree. The fact that Jesus truly was a real man. Oftentimes we forget that, don't we? We like to think of Jesus as some mystical, historical character who wasn't a real man. Can I tell you this? That, that, that's heresy and that's not biblical at all. The fact is that Jesus Christ, as we have already learned as we've been going through the Gospel of John, truly is God incarnate who came to this earth. We know John tells us that, that He came to this earth and He dwelt among us. And so we must recognize this morning in observing the Lord's Supper, the advent of Christ. And that should be remembered. His bodily incarnation. Very important. That God the Son literally came to this earth as a man. He came to this earth as a man. And it's important that we understand that so that we understand when His flesh was ripped from His back with the cat of nine tails. He felt the pain. When the nails were driven into His hands, Into his feet, he felt the pain. When his beard was ripped from his face, he felt every ounce of pain that was associated with those things. As that crown of thorns was placed deep into his skull, he felt the pain, he felt the agony, he felt the suffering. It's important that we understand that because all of that pain and all of that agony and all of that suffering belonged to us. But it was in his body that he bore the weight and the crushing blow of sin for us as our substitute there on the cross. We must recognize His bodily incarnation. The fact that He truly was the God-man. He was the second part of the Trinity. Come down to this earth. Clothed in humanity. To rescue sinners like me. Sinners like you. Here's what the Word of God says about His body. Colossians chapter 1. Verse 22 says, but now He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in His sight without blemish and free from accusation. How many of you are thankful for the physical body of Jesus Christ who has reconciled you to God the Father? It was His physical body that had to take place. Colossians 2.9, the Apostle Paul reiterates that again. He says, for in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Many people say this. Why does that matter? Why does it matter? The Hebrews tells us that His body was that curtain that was torn or open. That that veil that we see torn there in Jerusalem was just a picture of His true body that was torn for us, that veil. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain that is His body. It is the body of Christ and the crushing of that body as Isaiah proclaimed it and prophesied that it would come. It is that body that was crushed that allows us into the Holy of Holies, into fellowship with Almighty God the Father. We see His bodily incarnation and how important that is. It's important that we understand that so that we have a grasp on what we are remembering this morning. Also that bodily incarnation of Christ, His advent, it actually debunks a heresy called docetism. And this heresy says this, this heresy which was an early heresy in the church that stemmed from Gnosticism. And I know to some of you you say that's boring stuff. It's not boring. It's important. When the church begins to realize the importance of 
calling out false doctrine so that they can stay true to biblical doctrine, the church is then going to grow to the capacity that the Lord desires that it grows. But this heresy of docetism, here's what it said. It said that Jesus was just kind of um, a mystical form of a human, more of a phantasm or an illusion. Uh, so that you can understand it, any Star Wars fans here today, he, he, he was like Qui-Gon Jinn after Darth, Darth Maul took care of it, right? He was just that phantom that was there. He wasn't really human. He wasn't really a man. He was just some type of mystical phantom or illusion. This, of course, is heresy. In fact, John addresses it as it began to pop up even as early as John's ministry in First John, his first epistle. John says this, in chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world, and this is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. So please understand this. Anybody who says that Jesus did not come in the flesh, that He truly was not fully God and fully man, anyone who says that He was not in bodily form, incarnated as the Son of God, Jesus Christ, the Lord. Anyone who says that is a heretic. He says they're not of God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. John addresses this in his first epistle, but he doesn't stop there. In his second epistle, he addresses it again. In 2 John chapter 1, verse 7, he says this, many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the Antichrist. He says you better understand that there is an importance to seeing the bodily incarnation of Jesus Christ. And we must never forget that He truly came as the God-man. If He would have come as anything else, His body could not have been crushed. The lashes that belong to us could not have been given. The brutality that He faced because of our sin could not have been placed on Him and taken away from us. It is important that we see that Christ's advent, the fact that He came as a man, is what seals the deal of our redemption. In fact, He could not have redeemed us in any other way. He came as a perfect man. Born under the law. Born of a virgin. To redeem sinners like you, and sinners like me. You see the importance, and we must remember the importance of His bodily incarnation. Not only that, when we talk about the advent of Christ, we must also remember His bodily instructions. What He taught while He was here. The fact that God the Son, as a human, walked this earth for three and a half years ministering to people, performing miracles, and teaching His disciples things that John himself said this. He said, if I wrote down all the things the Lord taught me, the world could not handle the volumes of books. And so the Lord really came in bodily form, and He came in bodily form to teach His disciples how they are to live. As an example, He laid out the instructions for our lives. God the Son literally taught His followers grace and truth. Remember what John's Gospel said as we looked at the first chapter of John several weeks ago. He said this in verse 14. He said, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory. 
We have seen His glory. The glory of the One and Only who came from the Father. Watch this. Full of grace and truth. Jesus Christ came to this earth to teach us of grace and truth. Why? Because we know John says the same thing. He says this, that the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And it's important that we remember His bodily instructions. That when He was here, He taught things worthy of us paying attention to. He gave instructions. We have the Gospel accounts of those instructions. His life that He lived. The things that He accomplished while He was here. And then we see this. We've seen His bodily incarnation must be remembered. His bodily instructions as we remember the advent of Christ. But how about His bodily infliction? That God the Son was literally inflicted in His body with our suffering. In our pain. Because of our sin. He was sinless and deserved no punishment for sin, but He was inflicted with the sin and the judgment that belonged to Kirk Hall. It was placed upon Him. My sin. Your sin. If we were to be honest, my sin, your sin, inflicted the suffering that Christ endured. In fact, First Peter Peter says this in chapter 2. He says, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By His wounds you have been healed. Peter borrows from Isaiah and that great passage in Isaiah. And he says, by His wounds you have been healed. Can I say this? Had Christ not come at His first advent in bodily form, His body could not have bore our sins on that tree. He could not have died for our sins at Calvary. And we could not live for righteousness. And we could not receive the promise of the fact that our wounds, our infirmities, have been healed in Christ. Aren't you thankful today that Jesus came as a man to this earth? And He came as a man to this earth to die for sinners of which I am, as Paul said, the worst. Aren't you thankful for the body of Christ? Remember the advent of Christ as we observe His body in just a moment. And in doing so, in doing so, we affectionately connect ourselves in remembrance to who He is and what He did for us as He was crushed in body. The second thing that we see as we read on in this passage, verse 25, it says this, moving to the cup, He said, in the same way, after supper He took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in My blood. Do this whenever you drink it. Here's this phrase again. In remembrance of Me. Just as we have remembered the importance of the advent of Jesus Christ, I want us to also see that Paul is instructing us from the Lord's instruction to also remember the atonement of Christ. And so we see the atonement of Christ remembered there that His blood sacrifice of atonement is what has cleansed us from our deepest, darkest, sin. By remembering His atonement, it ought to move us to remember some things that surround His atonement. First thing is this. His blood of redemption. His blood of redemption. It is by His blood that we have been redeemed. In fact, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, it says, in Him we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of sin, sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Who here today is thankful for the blood of Jesus Christ that brings us redemption? 
according to the grace of God. First Peter 1.18 says, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers. It wasn't from perishable things or silver or gold that has redeemed you. But in 19 he says, But with the precious blood of Christ. The precious blood of Christ. And why was that blood so precious? Because it was pure, it was perfect, it was holy. It was the fulfillment of all of the sacrificial system that we see in Leviticus. His shedding of blood was finally an acceptable sacrifice that would cleanse men of all of their sins. This is the precious blood of a lamb without blemish or defect. I don't know about you, brothers and sisters, I'm thankful for the precious Lamb and His precious blood, the Lamb without blemish or defect. Because He is the only acceptable sacrifice that will allow us communion with God the Father. I'm thankful for the blood sacrifice of redemption of Jesus Christ. So as we remember the atonement of Christ, we must remember His blood that paid for our redemption. Revelation chapter 5, they had no problem Remembering that around the throne. In fact, in verse 9 of chapter 5, they sing a song. And it was a new song. And the new song went like this. It said, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Oh, they don't have a hard time there in heaven remembering what Christ has done through His atoning work, His atoning sacrifice through His blood of redemption. He has purchased men for God. He paid your debt that you owed. What a glorious Savior we have. It's His blood of redemption, but it's also His blood of reconciliation that must be remembered. His blood of reconciliation. The fact that our relationship as humans to God had been broken because of sin. And we needed to be reconciled to God some way. In Romans chapter 5, we know that it tells us the way. Romans chapter 5, verse 18, it says, Consequently, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, speaking of Adam's sin and the fall there in the garden, he says, so also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. He says the act of righteousness, the sacrifice of Christ, also brings life to all men. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. The law was added so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also Christ might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The blood of Jesus Christ is our reconciliation to God. Our reconciliation paid for through His blood sacrifice. Colossians chapter 1. We see this in Colossians 1, verse 19. It says there in 19, For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him. And through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through His blood shed on the cross. I'm thankful for the peace that was made through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Now I have 
those of you who are in Christ, have peace with God. Romans 5, 9, Since we have now been justified by His blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through Him? For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to Him through the death of His Son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through His life? It is His blood that reconciles the sinner to a holy God. It is His blood of redemption. It is His blood of reconciliation. But also we must remember His blood of restoration. That in Christ, we know this, that we were once cut off, alienated from God. That relationship was broken, and we could not have a relationship with God. But yet, through the blood of Jesus Christ and His sacrifice of atonement, we have been restored in our relationship to the Father. When we observe the Lord's Supper, let us remember the atoning blood of Jesus Christ. The blood sacrifice of the new covenant. That new covenant of grace. The new covenant of grace represented by the fruit of the vine in just a moment as we remember the blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We must remember the advent of Christ. The atonement of Christ must be remembered. And then I want us to see that He doesn't stop there. We see the accomplishments of Christ remembered. The accomplishments of Christ. Verse 26. Paul goes on. And he says this in verse 26. He says, For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. I want to stop there and we'll finish that verse in a second. You proclaim the Lord's death. This is very important because no New Testament writer would have left Christ dead. When he referred to his death here, he is referring to the package deal. His death, his burial, his resurrection. The fact that Jesus Christ accomplished it all. In fact, it goes further than that. They understood his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, and his soon return. And so as we look at this, he is instructing us to look at and remember the accomplishments of Christ that he accomplished through his death, his burial, and his resurrection. We go all the way back to Calvary. We go out to Golgotha, the place of the skull, and we remember what Christ accomplished there through His death, through His burial, through His resurrection. Let's remember that this morning as we see these instructions. What what did He do? What were His accomplishments? Let's look at them and let us as believers rejoice. Let me say this as unbelievers. Let's tremble if you're an unbeliever here today because you need to tremble. You need to tremble in fear of judgment because you've not yet trusted in Jesus Christ. I don't say that to scare you. I say that because for the believer, when we look at these things, great hope wells up in us. But for the unbeliever, when you look at these things, great fear wells up in you. And so pay close attention to what happens as we look at these things and as we remember these things. As we remember the accomplishments of Christ, that He defeated sin by His death. Sin has been defeated because of Christ's death. As I've already read for you in Romans chapter 5, verse 18, I'll read it again. Consequently, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, so also the result of the one act of righteousness was justification that brings life to all men. For just as through the disobedience of the one man the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man the many will be made righteous. Law was added so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It is Jesus Christ 
who defeated sin through His death. Just as sin entered in through Adam and affected all man, did you know this? Through the death of Jesus Christ, sin has been abolished toward all who will believe and trust in Him. He came. We must remember He defeated sin by His death for those who believe and trust in Him. Not only did He defeat sin by His death, He destroyed death by His resurrection. He destroyed death by His resurrection. Aren't you thankful that Jesus, three days after He went into that tomb, walked out victoriously, destroying death through His resurrection? 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8. Paul says this to young Timothy. He says, So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord, ashamed of me, His prisoner. But join with me in suffering for the Gospel by the power of God, who has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of His own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus. Watch this. Who has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the Gospel. It is the message of the Gospel that brings a person out of death and in to life. It is that gospel of Jesus Christ, the fact that He accomplished through His death, His burial, and His resurrection, He accomplished what He set out to do, and that was to destroy death for all those who would trust in Him. We know the Apostle Paul teaches us that we died with Christ, we were buried with Christ, and we rose to new life with Christ. When Jesus came out of that tomb, He declared the destruction of death for all those who would by faith trust in Him for the eons and ages to come. He has destroyed death by His resurrection. Anyone here thankful for that? That because He is alive, there is no longer any fear of death for those who believe and who trust in Him. We see we must remember that. The accomplishments of Christ being remembered today as we observe the Lord's Supper. That He defeated sin by His death and He destroyed death by His resurrection. And then thirdly, that He then departed to heaven. He departed to heaven. This is an aspect that gets left out so much. The ascension of Christ. Can I tell you this? This is very important. We leave it out so much. We talk about His death and His burial and His resurrection, but don't forget that He ascended back to where He had come from. We know that He came from the Father. And He ascended back to the Father. And why did He ascend back to the Father? Romans tells us this, that Christ died, He was raised to life, and is at the right hand of God and is interceding for us. Did you notice there's no accusation that can be brought against Kirk Hall any longer? Because when the accuser of the brethren brings an accusation to God the Father about Kirk Hall, Jesus Christ through His sacrifice at Calvary intercedes for me and He says, no, He is innocent. He is justified. He is forgiven. He is righteous. Not because of anything that He has done, but because I died. I was buried. I rose again. And I am here making intercession for all those who believe. And He says this. He says He's there. Hebrews 7 Verse 25 tells us this. He's there. And He always lives to intercede for us. Oh, don't forget the ascension of Christ that He went back to the Father. 
He went back to the Father because He's a worthy sacrifice. And the Father was pleased with that sacrifice. And now when the Father sees those who are in Christ, He sees the richness of the sacrifice of Christ and He no longer sees our sin. Oh, what an intercessor that we have in Christ. That mediator between us and the Father. Thank You, Lord Jesus. And when we observe the Lord's Supper, we remember the accomplishments of Christ through His death, His burial, His resurrection, His ascension into heaven where He intercedes for us. All those feelings of gratitude and hope and excitement should well up in us as we think on those things and as we think about those things this morning. We observe the Lord's Supper. Let us remember the accomplishments of Christ's death. But it doesn't stop there. The second part of verse 26 says this, The first part of 26 spoke of His death. But whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. Yes, you do. It says an interesting statement next. Until He comes. I'm so thankful that that doesn't say if He comes. Or in case He comes. Or perhaps He could come. (laughs) It says that you proclaim His death until He comes. It is an established thing. He is coming. I know we don't talk about the return of Christ anymore in comfortable Christianity in the United States of America because it makes people uncomfortable. Let me just make you uncomfortable for a minute. Christ shall return just as He promised. In fact, at His ascension, it was promised that just as I've left, I'm coming back in like manner. I'm coming back just like this. We know this, that the prophets tell us this, that He is going to set foot on the Mount of Olives and the earth is going to quake. But let me warn you, dear friends, He is not coming back as a sacrificial lamb. He's coming back as a triumphant lion and He's coming to rule and He's coming to reign and He's coming to judge the sin of the world. And if you are not in Christ, when this happens, you will perish in agony in hell. But oh, what hope we have for those of us who are in Christ. The certainty of His return. He says, do this until He comes. I ask you this, are you longing for His appearing? Are you longing for His appearing? No, when you watch the news, I hope you do it accidentally nowadays. But when you watch the news, are you dismayed because the country that you grew up in is changing? Are you excited? Because each day as the world falls apart, our hope of Jesus Christ draws nearer and nearer and nearer. Are you longing for His appearing? Or do you want to hold on to your little worldly life that you have built just a little longer? Can I remind you what the Apostle Paul said? He says, there's a crown of righteousness for me that is kept in heaven. But not only for me, for all of those who long for His appearing, who are waiting until He comes remembering what He has done through His body, through His blood, what He has accomplished through His death, His burial, His resurrection, His ascension. Oh, Jesus Christ is worth remembering, isn't He? He's worth remembering. He says there is the certainty of His return. He's giving advice and admonition that must be remembered in this text. Advice and admonition that you must take to heart that there is a certain return of Christ. Then He gives us this as we read on in verse 27. He gives us not only a certain return of Christ, a charge of self-examination, A charge of self-examination and this charge is to the believer. He says in verse 27, 
Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. Well, if we've looked at this morning, and we have, the magnitude of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. The fact that He truly came as God incarnate. As the God-man. To bear your suffering and bear your pain and to bear your agony and to bear the wrath of God. And receive the punishment that belonged to you. And to shed His blood, every ounce of His blood, as an atoning sacrifice to wash you and cleanse you of all your sin. Would it not be okay for the Apostle Paul under the instruction of the Lord to then call us out to holiness because of what Jesus Christ has done for us? That's what he's doing. He's saying examine your life today before you partake of the Lord's Supper. Is there anything in your life, any sin that you know is open defilement unto God? Is there sin that you have been convicted about? Is there sin that the Scripture clearly defines that is sin? Is it in your life and is it actively present? You have to examine yourself. What are you saying for us to do? I know. We live in a church age where no one wants to encourage anyone to examine themselves toward holiness, but God's Word says different. God's Word says before you even partake of the Lord's Supper, you need to examine yourself. You need to repent of your sin and you need to confess your sin. Aren't you thankful for the promises of God? 1 John 1.9 that says if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Oh, today I would say to you, brother and sister in Christ, before you partake of the Lord's Supper, look at your life. Look at your life. Hear the admonition of Christ through the Apostle Paul here. The charge of self-examination. Examine you. Don't examine your wife or examine your husband or examine your children or your parents. Examine yourself this morning. Why? So that you don't fall into the chastisement of the Lord. Well, that's what he teaches us next. The advice and admonition of Christ remembered. He says, remember Christ, the certainty of His return, the charge of self-examination. You say, was Christ really charging us here? Yes, Paul said, these are the instructions I received from the Lord. This is the Lord through Paul telling you to examine yourself and to see if you are right in your life. If you're a believer here today, I can tell you this. There's no sin active in your life that you don't know about because the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you will always let you know about that. You just hadn't gotten honest about it yet. That's what confession is. Did you know that confession is getting honest with God about what God already knows about? It's getting honest and saying, Lord, You're right when Your Spirit convicts me that what I'm doing is wrong. And Lord, I admit that to You and I call it sin. And I know that You freed me in Christ from my sin, not so that I can abuse Your grace. You freed me so that I can live a life of righteousness that brings You glory and honor and praise. We see the advice and the admonition. Certainty of His return, the charge of self-examination, but the chastisement of those who mishandle the Lord's Supper. We'll see that the Lord warns us here. Verse 29, watch this. He says, For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many among you are weak and sick. He's talking to the church and He's saying many people among you they're in Corinth, at the church at Corinth. Many of people among you are weak and sick and have fallen asleep. That word fallen asleep, I assure you of this, is a reference to the death of a New Testament believer. 
And what is happening here, he knows that the Lord has promised us this, that he who believes in him shall never die. He's talking about their carnal body. Their carnal body has passed from this earth and they are now in the presence of God so that they can, don't continue to bring reproach upon the name of God here at the church at Corinth. Or here at the church at Keli. He's saying this. There are many people among you who are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep because you're mishandling the Lord's Supper. Because you are partaking in an unworthy manner. But if we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. Oh, what a word of advice. Everybody's always worried about everyone else, aren't they? I want to encourage you in just a moment to worry about yourself. To examine your own life. To examine your own life not in light of what you're trying to justify or what you're trying to think. But to examine your life in light of God's Holy Word. So, but if we judge ourselves, we would not come under judgment. When we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. Again, I say this. You're being disciplined by the Lord. You're being disciplined by the Lord because He loves you. But I can promise you this. There's one that He loves more than you. That is the Father. And He will not let you bring reproach upon His name on this earth. He's warning the Corinthian church of this. Examine yourself. Stop bringing reproach upon the name of the Lord. What has happened here at the Corinthian church, they have changed this Lord's Supper into this drunken orgy feast. Something that it was never supposed to be. What was it supposed to be? It's plain and simple. He's made that clear. It's supposed to be a time of remembrance. Affectionate recollection of what Jesus Christ has done for us. That's what this is supposed to be. It's not supposed to be a time of ritual. It's not supposed to be a time of just some traditional practice. He doesn't say that. In fact, we know this, that the New Testament warns about festivals and Sabbaths and religious practice. He's not instituting, I assure you, another religious practice. But He is instituting this ordinance of remembrance. Or we stop. We remember nothing but Christ and who He is and what He has done for us and what He accomplished through His death, His burial, His resurrection, His ascension and the advice and the admonition that He gives to the believers concerning this ordinance. That we should observe this until He returns anticipating, oh Lord, I would that before we drink this cup today that we would be in Your presence. Your will be done. Your will be done. Oh, that we would see the certainty of His return. That we would see the charge of self-examination. I mean right now. Not thinking about how fast can I get out of this church service, but what is it in my life that Jesus Christ died for that I'm still trying to hold on to? And call that thing by name and confess it to Him. Examine yourself so that you then don't fall under the chastisement of the Lord. Again, that doesn't mean make God mean that makes our Heavenly Father a good parent. It is the same Heavenly Father who said if you spare the rod, you spoil the child. How could He then come back and spare the rod on His children? Whom He loves, He disciplines, and He chastens with a rod. Please don't fall under the chastisement of the Lord today because you observe the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. So let us 
By seeing the teachings here in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, let us see the importance today of this call to remember, this call to remember Jesus and all that He has done, all that He has accomplished. To some of you today, this means nothing. This means nothing because you do not know Him. To some of you today, you don't know Him as Lord and Savior. To speak of His death, it does nothing to you. To speak of His sacrifice, moves you in no way. His resurrection to you is just make-believe. His ascension is just some type of facade or fallacy. His return in your mind is never going to happen. It means nothing to you. And how sad that is. I would say this to you, my friend, what a problem you have. What a problem you have because I know this. That for those of us who know Christ, think of His death moves us. Realize that that crushed body should have been ours. It should motivate us to service and to adoration, to praise and to worship. The shouts of glorification. Toward Him, toward Him alone. Some of you don't know Christ. So you don't understand. I would say this to you today. Repent. Repent and turn to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, trusting in Him by faith and faith alone. As your Lord and as your Savior. I pray today that for those of you who are lost in your darkness, that you are dead in your sin today, that He would open your eyes, that you could see the truth graciously giving you the faith to believe and to trust in Him and to to be empowered to repent and to turn of your sin and to turn toward Christ and Christ alone, calling out to Him. And let me assure you of this, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If He allows you to call on Him today to save you, I promise you this, He is faithful to save you this very day. You can leave here understanding what the bread and the cup really represent, the body and the blood of Jesus Christ and all the things that surrounded His ministry and His teaching on this earth. You can be saved this very day. Cry out to Him, the only One who can save you. Turning to Him and Him alone as the only acceptable sacrifice that cleanses men of their sin and grants to them eternal life as promised by the Father. The believer, I pray today, as we observe the Lord's Supper, as you remember Him, what He does, and what He has done for you, I pray that you are stirred within spiritually. That the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you would excite you and motivate you to serve the Lord and to proclaim the Gospel like you never have before. To love others and to show the love of Christ to others. So I pray today as we prepare our hearts to observe the Lord's Supper, that we would in just a moment partake of this Supper in remembrance of Him. Let's pray together. Father, we love You. We thank You for loving us. We thank You for all of the things that we can stop and remember that You have accomplished through the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, we thank You for Your body that was crushed on our behalf. We thank You for the blood of Your sacrifice, that sacrifice of atonement. 
that cleanses even the most wicked and vile sinners such as myself from all of their sin. Making us right with God. Bringing redemption and reconciliation and restoration as only You can through Your blood. God, we thank You for the finished work of Calvary. The death, the burial, the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus Christ and all of the hope that that brings to those who know Him. Lord, I pray that we hear the advice and the admonishment from the Apostle Paul as he repeats the instructions that he received from You. I pray that today we would see the certainty of His return, that we would long for that, that we would examine ourselves as You've called us to do. That we would partake of this Lord's Supper in a manner that is worthy of the One who we are remembering here today, the Lord Jesus Christ. We give You praise for who You are and for what You're going to do now. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thank you for listening to the Key Life Fellowship Pulpit Ministry Podcast. If you would like to talk with one of our pastors, please email us at info at keylifefellowship.org or call us at 281-689-1604. You can also visit our website at www.keylifefellowship.com. We hope and pray you have a blessed week. And remember, you are light in the darkness.